let's start off. Um, I'm going to start off with a story for you. Um, it's interesting. This weekend, we're going to go out to the Outer Banks, and we'll probably see one of the two lighthouses out there. Um, there's a story of a lighthouse um, along a bleak, clo- a bleak coast that was tended by a keeper who was given enough oil for one month and was told to keep the light burning every night. He's told this one task to keep enough oil for the lighthouse to burn every night for that month. But what happened? One day a woman asked for oil for her children to stay warm. And, the, and then later on, then a farmer came and his, he said his son needed oil for his lamp so he could read. And still another said he needed some oil for his engine so his engine could run. The keeper saw each of these requests as worthy and measured out enough oil to satisfy each of these needs. Near the end of the month, the tank in the lighthouse ran dry. That night, the beacon was dark and three ships crashed on the rocks. More than 100 lives were lost. When a government official investigated, the man explained what he had done and why. And the official said to him, you were given one task alone, and that was to keep the light burning. Everything else was secondary. You have no defense. In a similar way, I believe the local church each one of us have been given a task, a primary task to keep, to, to keep, to take. And that primary task of the local church is to fulfill and to carry out the Great Commission, to make disciples. And that's our primary task. Um, really, everything else is nice, um, is useful, and even profitable at times. But they all come as secondary to making disciples. And so, um, Francis Chan has a, a book that he put out maybe 10 years ago called Multiply, and he has this comment about how most churches view the Great Commission. He says the following, he, he says this, yet we have subtly and tragically taken the costly command to go baptize and teach all nations and mutated it into a comfortable call to come to a cozy location with nice seats, with nice AC. I'll just throw a footnote. As the weeks come um, in this location, as they, this company moves their stuff, this place will become less comfortable. They're going to take more seats and more lighting, and we'll understand that by June 12th, we'll be sitting on the floors. I'm just kidding. I just want to see what you say. But we've asked them to leave enough chairs for us all the way to the end. And they're going to kindly do that. But they might shut off the AC and we'll be toasting in here. I'm just kidding. But I mean, just think about it. We choose based lot, a lot of our decisions based on how comfortable we will be. And so um, even the notion or joke that we might be uncomfortable might make us squirm in our seats a little bit. But it's been mutated to the place to what? It's a comfortable call to come to be baptized, and to sit in, in, in one location and passively hear music and passively um, hear a message. But the Lord has called us to so much more. He's called us to take up the cross. 
He's called us to deny ourselves. He's called us to make disciples of Christ, not of yourself, not of your culture, not of your preferences, but to make disciples, disciples, followers of Christ. And so this morning, <clears throat> um, we're going to hit the refresh button, and we're going to be reminded of what the Great Commission is. Um, <clears throat> in a sense, I want you to think about what does it look like to make the gospel visible through our lives and through our lives individually and collectively. And my hope is that as, you, as we go through this, that you would understand that your call and your commission is to be one, be a disciple, and make some, make some disciples. Um, if we could make it more simple than that, we could say, be one, make one. If you could just make one disciple, guess what? If we dedicated ourselves in this room, 50 people, to make one disciple, guess what? In one year, if we focus on that, we'd have 100 disciples. If we tried the next 100 people to focus on that made one disciple, then we'd have 200 disciples after two years. And this is only adding. The, as we will look in this section, that the Lord would encourage multiplication over adding. But literally, if we all focus on one, be one, make one each year, by God's grace, we can go from in three years from 50 to 50 people, from 50 to 100, to 100 to 200. Oh gosh, that's not 200, that's 400 in three years if we just be one and make one. One. So, from Matthew chapter 20, 16 to, tw- 16 to 20, this is what Nicole just read. We're going to look at the Great Commission, and we're going to look at eight crucial directives in this passage, and they're there on the screen, so you can see and follow. Um, we're going to hit each one of them. I'm not going to read them at this time, because you'll see them on each slide coming up. I don't know why I'm so thirsty today, but that's why we have water. The first directive I want you to see is, is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Um, this is a directive of availability. Availability. You can see a definition there on the screen. But Jesus is speaking and addressing the 12 disciples minus one. He says here, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I want you to see that these 11 disciples minus Judas made themselves available to the Lord. The Lord uh, was speaking and addressing these to, the, to these uh, disciples, and he's directing them to Galilee and to a specific location. It doesn't say which mountain in this text, but I believe that disciples, when they heard Jesus meet up at this mountain, they knew what mountain to go to. So, they made themselves available to go to the mountains, the, <clears throat> where this particular mountain that Jesus had designated. The disciples could have said, hey, you know, I got to hang out with my wife, my kids. I need to continue to fish for my job. I, I need to do my carpentry work. But in this case, we see that they made themselves available to the Lord. They freed up time. They created availability to be available for the Lord's work. It's been said the greatest inability is not being available. And so the first directive in making disciples is to make yourself available to make disciples. And so it's prioritizing the Lord's calling to make disciples. The second one, the second directive, second gospel directive is adoration. This comes from Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. And Jesus says here, And when they saw him... When they saw who? Jesus Christ. 
They didn't just look at him and say, hey, that's Jesus Christ. Um, They responded and they what? They worshiped him. They responded in worship and adoration of Jesus Christ, God himself. But we also see amongst this group of 11 people that some doubted. Some did not worship. Some did not respond to him in a positive way. Some doubted and didn't believe he was worthy of worship. And so, um, but I do want to capture that some did worship. And they looked at him, and the first response they had was to worship Jesus Christ. And so, a disciple is someone that's made themselves available, and they're choosing to, to worship him. Um, I have a long quote. It's one of my favorite quotes from John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's three paragraphs here. But he says this about worship as it relates to mission. He goes, Wish, he goes, mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man, when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their knees before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. See, there's some similarities between the church here, what we do, and what we do in heaven. We will fellowship on earth, and in heaven we will fellowship. On earth we will fellowship as a church, and in heaven, and in earth, I mean, on earth we will worship God, uh, and in heaven we will worship God perfectly. But when it comes to making disciples and carrying out the Great Commission, that is unique to the church age here and today. That will not happen in heaven. So God has left the church here to carry out this one primary task, to make disciples. Moving on. Worship, therefore, is the feel and goal goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the bring to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the people in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Let the people praise thee, O God, and let all the people praise thee. Let the nation be glad and sing for joy. Last paragraph. But Worship is also the fuel for missions. If you want to ask why there's not much disciple-making, why there's not much missions in the local church, it's because worship is not there. And <clears throat> but it, when worship is there and we love what God loves, guess what? Missions is dear to his heart, and we'd carry out the Lord's will and the Lord's heart. And so we see going on in this quote, passion for God in worship precedes the offer to God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exalt thee. I will sing praises to thy name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends with worship. John Piper. How many of you have seen this quote before? Some of you guys? It's, it's big time. <laughs> Just re- read the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, and your, your whole mind and heart will be consumed with God's heart for the nations. 
Um, <coughs> gospel directive number three, authority. Gospel directive number three is authority. How many guys have recognized this picture? Seen this one, right? That's Lincoln up there, All right? If you've been up to D.C., you've seen that. Um, <coughs> in Matthew 28, 18, the first part here says, And Jesus came and said to them, referring to the, the disciples that made themselves available, that worshiped Jesus Christ, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, referring to Jesus. Okay? Um, <clears throat> and so Jesus has all authority. In one sense, we, we're familiar with our governmental authority. Um, <clears throat> Lincoln was one of our presidents, and at one time he had an authority to lead our country. It's not an absolute authority, and in fact, it's a very much a limited authority. And we even think of our pre- recent presidents, Trump and Biden, they, they did their best and they're doing their best. Um, they have authority, but it's a limited authority. When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has ultimate, total, complete authority. And he's saying to these disciples, when it comes to what? Disciple making, he's saying to them, um, I have all authority and I give you this same authority to make disciples. So, when it comes to carrying out the Great Commission and making disciples, you have been given authority. Some people will say, man, that's just only for the pastor to do or the missionary or the pastor's wife. That is a lie. I just want you to know that. Every disciple of Jesus Christ has the same authority. You have no more. We have equal authority, all right? We all have equal authority. It's the same authority we have from Jesus Christ. So Manny, you, you have the same authority as I do, okay? It's not like daddy has more and you have less. We have equal authority and it all comes from Jesus Christ, all right? So we have equal authority when it comes to making disciples. You don't need to wait for the discipleship program to come or special training. You already have that authority. It might, it's good that we equip you and train you, but that authority is already there. You don't need to go to seminary like some of us are, have gone or will go, go or has a nice degree already. That doesn't give you authority. The authority came from Jesus Christ already. You just went to get more training to do God's work better and more effectively. And in fact, you have more accountability to be faithful to because you have more training. Anyways, uh, directive number four is apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. Um, in Matthew 28, verse 19, um, we have the concept, a strategic concept of apprenticeship. We see in this passage that Jesus commands these 11 disciples and every believer that's ever lived listening in. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're going to dissect this whole section in great detail, and I hope it's good for your soul and for your training. What I want you to see in this first part is Jesus' main command is to make disciples. That's the main thing of the Christian faith. Um, It's the main task that Lighthouse Keeper had to keep was the oil for the Christian. It is to make disciples. And so he gives three verbal participles to understand that our process of making disciples is ongoing. He calls us to go. He says, go therefore. It's a continued action, a continued pursuit, a continued lifestyle to, to go, to obey the Lord in going 
Not just, not just coming Sunday, but the other six days matter just as much from Monday all the way through Saturdays. That you go, and as you go, that you <clears throat> are making disciples, and then after they come to follow Jesus Christ, <clears throat> you make them disciples, followers of Christ who will be baptized and that you will teach. And so, let me ask some basic questions. What, what is a disciple? What are disciples? Um, and maybe another question, is the word discipleship found in the Bible? No. Is the word trinity found in the Bible? No. Is the word membership found in the Bible? No. But is the concept of all three of these concepts found in the Bible? Yes. Membership, the trinity, and discipleship um, is found in the Bible. And we'll see this many times. This right here alone when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, he's talking about discipleship. He's talking about counting the cost to follow Jesus. Um, 250 times in the New Testament, the word disciple is used. Um, in the Greek translation, we're talking about the Greek word matheteo, which means pupil, learner, or follower. Um, some of our cultures, we understand what this looks like, whether it's different kind of cultures, or even sci-fi, but I'm a Star Wars fan, and so we understand what a Jedi is, right? And a Padawan, right? There's a master who has all the skills and is well-trained up, and he trains a Padawan so they can learn all the skills, too, to use the Force properly and not turn to the dark side. We don't want that. So in the Kung Fu world, right, there's a master and what? A student or apprentice. It's very much the same idea. You're not just teaching them educationally like in the Western world. You know, I'm teaching you facts about being a doctor or a nurse or whatever. The goal is actually to train a doctor to be a doctor, to train a nurse to be a nurse. Not to say, I have the facts to be a doctor. That's not going to do you any good. And so the same token, same ideas here is Jesus wants us to train disciples to be disciples. Not to say, oh, I just know what about discipleship classes. I've read some books about it. I went to seminary about it. No, the, name, the main goal is that you are what? Actually growing in Christ and training others to be followers of Christ, discipling others to be disciples of Christ. In fact, in the time of the first century, in the Greek world and the Roman world, they had disciples, right? Aristotle, Plato, they had disciples. They were disciples and disciples. There's a master-teacher relationship. So when Jesus came on the scene, when Paul came on the scene, it was only natural for them to carry out the plan of discipleship. I mean, <clears throat> maybe think, and look at it another way. I know back in the 80s, that's the time I grew up, McDonald's and Coke had this mission to get their product, what? To every part of the world, right? And you would go to South America or Asia or whatever, Europe, and you'd see McDonald's products and Coke products. Well, Jesus' plan to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, was not as quick as McDonald's or Coca-Cola. But it was effective. It was to what? Make disciples, to train people to follow Jesus, one person at a time. And so it's a, it's a, it's a teaching process of helping people to love the Lord with all their heart, all their mind, and all their strength. And I believe Jesus had in mind a picture of discipleship that was multi-generational. And so I'm going to give you a verse here in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Um, this is where Paul has captured Jesus' heart for multi-generational discipleship. 
And so, if you look at this verse, and if you've been around me anytime, I'll probably bring up this verse and ask this question, how many generations of disciples you see here? And most people will say three or four, but in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it says this, the things which you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these <coughs> to faithful men who will, <coughs> who will be faithful, but entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so in this one verse, there are five generations of discipleship. From Jesus to Paul, from Paul to Timothy, from Timothy to who? In this passage, to faithful men who will teach others. And so we see five generations of discipleship from Jesus to Paul. And he really is just explaining this in three generations, from Paul to Jesus. No, from Jesus to Paul, from Paul to Timothy. And he tells Timothy, you're responsible for two more generations as you are leading your respective church in Ephesus. And so as you look at your life, <clears throat> some of you guys have been Christians for five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, 30, 40 years. Anyone Christian for more than 50 years in this room? Not yet. All right. Oh, right here. At some point, you got to ask yourself, do I meet the success criteria as a disciple of Jesus Christ? In other words, do you have disciples? As you look back five years ago, 10 years ago, are there people that you've influenced, that you've trained, that you've equipped that are following Jesus? Or do you look back and say, man, I just had a lot of snacks at that church. Um, they had big parties and we had a great time, but no one's making disciples and no one's coming to church. No one's coming to Christ in these respective areas. So you look back and you're like, man, I have just had a good, you know, I, I've enjoyed the fringe benefits of church life, but I've never made a disciple. That, that is not what it's supposed to be like. If, if we understand what Jesus had in mind and Paul had in mind, we understand that each one of us have a responsibility to make disciples. And both Paul and Jesus had this mindset. I call it the 3, 12, and 70 mindset. We can't we don't have the time or the bandwidth to invest in everyone. But if each one of us invests in three people, that's it, three people. <laughs> Jesus had what? Peter, James, and John. Guess what? Peter, James, and John did some of the most significant work in the New Testament, right? Peter wrote two books. John wrote five books, right? Peter, James, and John. How many books did James write? Just one, but he's in the New Testament. So the, the, the guys that he poured into bore fruit. Uh, they made more disciples. And so Jesus <clears throat> poured into three people primarily, and then he poured into 12, the 12 disciples, one went you know, AWOL, but there were 11 that had some doubts and some ups and downs, but he poured in 12, and they, for the most part, had ongoing ministry. And then he ministered to people generally in crowds, in city life. And he did miracles. He taught. He interacted with women like at the well. And so he ministered. And so as you think through your relationships, there should be three people that you're pouring into. And hopefully someone's pouring into you. And then you should be a part of a small group or ministry team that you're relating to, that you're encouraging, that you're building up. And Maybe it's a coworker or a classmate that you see regularly, and you say, hey, let's meet up once a week to talk through the Bible, talk through a passage. And then there's people that you're interacting with generally. We all have responsibility to interact with people generally each Sunday, a calling to fulfill, and also people that we see in our neighborhood, the, the mailman, the Amazon person, 
or whoever, people that you interact with. Um, my family, we often like to walk around the neighborhood, and after walking around the neighborhood, guess what? We know our neighbors, and they know us, and sometimes they want to talk, and sometimes they open the doors and let us in for a drink or coffee, or even invite us to the kids' birthday party, because we're making progress relationally for the sake of the gospel. I want you to know that disciples are made, not born. You can't just say, oh, you just came to Christ. You're automatic disciples. There's a process that we go through to train disciples. And so that's a long point number four, <coughs> the directive to make apprentices. Um, I, I think there's another slide before we go on. I just want you to see the simple math and call every one of us to faithfulness. If it just began with one of us, if each one of us discipled three for a year, and those three Discipled into three, guess what? You had 29 nine disciples. And those nine disciple, disciple into another three, guess what? You'll have 27. And those tw- 27 disciples discipled in three more, you'll have 81. That's just starting with one person. We're starting with 50 people here. If you, <coughs> those 81 people disciple three more, guess what? Boom, 243. And if those 243 disciple ne- another time, another season, another three, there would be 729. That's called exponential discipleship. It's amazing. Way better than your Bitcoin doing right now, right? <laughs> that's all tanking, by the way, if you haven't checked. Or your stock, that's tanking too. But when it comes to the dividends here, it's big time. It grows, it grows, it grows. And it grows if we invest well and are faithful to the calling that the Lord has called us. And so think about how does a church grow? There's three basic ways. Um, you could do tra- tra- transfer growth. That means people coming from one church to another. There's biological growth. We've experienced some of that recently and in the coming months. That's when you have babies and <laughs> church grows that way. Or you adopt and have kids that way. And there's conversion growth. When people who have no church background or maybe some church background but come to make faith like Cody did recently. Those are the three ways to grow. The primary way that we want to aim for is conversion growth. And the other two, we gladly accept graciously as gifts from the Lord as we receive every baby and every person who transfers over. And so we thank God for that too. Um, <clears throat> directive number five, um, who are we to make disciples of? Well, the scripture is very clear. It says all people, all people. Um, <clears throat> who are we to disciple? Um, every ethne, every ethnic, every tribe, every tongue are people that God has called us to reach and disciple. It's not who we prefer. It's not just our own background um, or people we like or whatever the country we think is, has the best culture or the best food. No, the call is to all people. Um, <clears throat> so this call is to be carried out locally um, in our local neighborhoods. Um, amongst our classmates, teammates, co-workers. Um, and the best way to do that is to pray for them, to love them, to bless them, maybe with a gift or a meal, that conversations might be opened and we could talk about Christ in a different way. Uh, maybe a senior home, maybe uh, in your workplace or a campus group. Those are all ways to uh, initiate a disciple-making process locally. I, I mean, there's more. You can go bike riding with people, play tennis with people, go fishing with people. I mean, if you're going to fish, you could be there for three or four hours. You might as well talk to someone and bring a friend with you and go on that journey of talking about 
things beyond what's on the news talk about eternal matters. And so there's local op- opportunities. And <clears throat> there's also global opportunities, opportunities to pray for the nations, to be trained, to think through missions in a, in a, in a biblical way. And so we've had the opportunity recently, a couple weeks ago, the IMB came and we had a missionary speaker address that. And we also have training manuals that we want you to go through in the near future to be trained to think about missions globally. Whether you ever, ever go or not, at least be trained to have a heart for the nations, to pray for that and give toward that end and support those who do go. And so that's global missions. So there's local missions and global missions to all people. There are some people groups, understand, the United States is pretty much a Christian nation.